0: Well, y'all can grab a seat. Uh, my name is Todd Berkey, and apparently Corby and I are brothers in baldness, so that's that's great. And really, it's a, a joy and an honor to be here with y'all this morning as we are in Romans chapter 11. Um, if you haven't been with us the last uh, couple weeks here, you've, you've missed out something great. Uh, because uh, where we are in this series of, of Romans, we're wrapping up a little three-chapter this chunk that's, it's really dense, honestly. It, it, it is just a really dense chunk. Um, Romans 9, 10, and 11. And Paul is answering this question, essentially. Has God been faithful to the promises in the people of Israel? Now, again, the reason why that question is being asked, the reason why uh, he is responding is because Israel was God's chosen, promised people all throughout the Old Testament. And yet while the church started, when the church started, it was almost exclusively made up of, of Jewish believers, quickly as the God's word went out, it shifted and the Gentiles flooded into the church. And as the word went forth, as the church grew, the Gentiles just were responding massively. And there was this pivot where all of a sudden it seemed like the Gentiles are getting everything. And it seemed like God's work with the nation of Israel has come to a halt. So that's the question. Has God been faithful to the promises and the people of Israel? And it's important because if God wasn't faithful to them, why should we expect him to be faithful to us in the promises that he gives us? You know, things like salvation by grace through faith, things like eternal security. If we can't trust, if God is not trustworthy, if he's not faithful to Israel and the promises he made there, can we really trust him now? Now, in the last two weeks, Brian has walked us through nine and 10. Uh, and I'm sure if you were, you were here, you're like, wow. Um, or if you weren't here, you're like, what did I miss? Or if you were here and you're like, it's morning, my brain's a little foggy, I'd like to help you out to step into the stream at the same place. And do that through a story, if I could, and a confession. Who doesn't love a pastoral confession from the stage? Years ago, I worked in the U.K., and as I, was, as I was working there, um, I was flying back to Houston to see family. It's about a 10-hour flight, and I always went with the uh, short flight or the cheapest flights. And so I came. I'm waiting at Heathrow, waiting for her to check in, waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm coming up, and, and the lady goes, okay, well, you know, you're super favor. You know, uh, you can't select your seat until now. We have two seats left on the plane. I'm like, oh, great. She says, "Well, would you like a center in the very middle of the plane seat? Or we have, a, we have an aisle seat. It's in the very back row right by the bathrooms. The seat won't recline. Um, but those are your two options. What would you like? And I'm like, well, I mean, you get what you pay for, right? So uh, I figured it better to have one side open and easy access to the bathroom. So I said, I'll take the, the one in the back. That's uh, it's fine. That'd be great. Thank you. And uh, the most amazing thing happened. She goes, okay, I've gone ahead and upgraded you to our business class. Now, mind you, I did nothing to deserve that upgrade. She just freely gave it. She had the authority to do whatever she wanted. And she was checking people in. And for whatever reason, she said, I choose you to get the golden ticket. It was literally a golden ticket. And, and I was like, Wow. She was just in doing that, and there was nothing wrong with her for overlooking the other passengers who came through. That's Romans chapter 9. God chose Israel. They did nothing to deserve uh, their position. God alone does that. He has the right to choose. He has the right to harden. He can do what he wants because he's God, and he'll be fully just. So I was like, "This is this is really amazing." And so I, I was instantly I was thankful. And then I started walking towards security, like, "Wow, this is just amazing." And I got to security, and things started happening that were a little different. They were check my passport, and they saw the gold ticket. They're like, "Oh, Mister Berkey." I'm like, "Ooh, Mister Berkey, me gusto mucho." Um, and so. Uh, As I'm walking through that, I get to the gate, and and they they go to check in, because apparently you had to do that again, another security thing. And they're, oh, Mr. Burke, it's so great to have you here. You know, you can board really whenever. Once we start calling, you can board whenever you want. Like oh wow that's that's great, now I'm used to remember I'm I'm used to the cheapest seats and I'm like man as soon as they call my row I have to fight to get up there because there's overhead bin space and there's only limited I want my feet you know wide open and so they, they start calling for boarding and I hop up instantly like just repulse uh, impulses on me I start to go and I go wait a second I've got a gold ticket. I don't have to worry about the overhead bin space. I don't know what happens behind the curtain, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll take care of me. I've watched them move economy class people out of the way for these people's bags. So I, I get up, and a pride just starts creeping in. Literally, I got up, I started walking. I was like, well, no, not yet. And so I, I started walking back, and I was like, well, let me angle the gold tickets so everybody can see. <laughs> so I walk back, and I sit down again. I'm like, well, I just watch all these lesser than me Get on the plane. I was like, maybe now. And this is not an exaggeration. Two times I got up and said, no, I'm just not feeling it again with, like, you guys see who has the gold ticket. So I confess pride came in. Now I got on the plane, and now let me just stretch this a little bit. This did not happen, but imagine that same airport employee, the same airline employee who gave me the upgrade, that uh, she's working the flight, and I come in, and she oh, Mr. Berkey, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, here. Here's your seat. Now, there's some different functions to the seat that up here. I just want your flight to be a little bit more enjoyable. And I was like, hey, pipe down. Don't you know who I am on gold ticket? Like, you're just lesser than. You, it's me. Oh, okay. Um, Mr. Berkey, we're getting ready to take off. You need to actually put your laptop away. Hey, 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 gold ticket. A little more of zip you know, that's what I need from you. Imagine if I did that. She still has the authority to go, you know what? Back of the plane, or better yet, get off the plane. She would have the authority to do that if I was responding that way. It's Romans chapter 10, that this response, this arrogance that began to invade Israel, thinking that their position was something they earned and they deserved and that they, they just knew better. And so just imagine if I'm doing that and everybody else is watching, and you'd be wondering, like, what is this this employee gonna do with this arrogant guy? Because if if she were to kick me to the back of the plane or kick me off, you'd be like, well, she made a promise. She's no longer, like, we can't trust any ticket we have in the future or any upgrade. She's not reliable. We would all be waiting, what will she do? And that's exactly what's happening as we step into Romans chapter 11. What is God going to do with the people that he chose, the people who said, now we're good. It's all about us. How is God going to show himself here, faithful, or not faithful. And news flashes, we're going through Romans. It's all about the gospel. And We find the gospel's good news because God is faithful. I went through these slides several times. I was like, because God is loyal, because God is trustworthy, because God is reliable, because he is the perfect promise keeper. Like, I didn't know what else to put in there. But faithful is a deep word that we should not take lightly. We, the gospel has good news because God is faithful. He's going to give us three evidences here in chapter 11, three supports to show how God is faithful. And so our plan is simply this. Uh, the gospel is good news because God is faithful. We're going to look at people, plan, and promise. Uh, just because I like things to all start with the same letter there. He's going to keep a provision of, of trusting people, a remnant, if you will. He's, he's going to reveal his unstoppable plan, how it's already unfolded in beautiful ways. And he's going to remind them of the certain future. Of the nation of Israel, now before we dive all the way in, we have to do just a little backtrack, a little bit of work, if you will, with me, because this is this is a dense section and this is a kind of a dense chapter, and you really could get lost in a lot of different things. It's easy uh, to get lost along the way, and so we need to make sure that that we we know God is talking here about the group Israel, the nation of Israel. He's not talking individuals. He's talking groups. It's going to be very helpful when we get to the branches, okay? But remember, he's talking about groups, and and God has made some big promises. Just in case you were unaware, he's made big promises to this group, this nation of Israel. Uh, For example, uh, I was going to have us read them all, but I'll just read a few things. The Abrahamic Covenant, roughly about 2000 BC, comes through. God makes this promise to Abram he tells them, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I promise I'm going to make you into a great nation. And from that nation, you're going to to bless all nations, you're going to have land, seed, blessing, all of that's going to be wrapped up here in the Abrahamic covenant, but it's a literal promise to a literal person it's going to see than to a literal nation. Okay, So then you move forward about a thousand years to the Davidic covenant, David, uh, in Samuel. Second Samuel, uh, chapter seven. Just so we know that he's talking about these promises, they are to Israel. It's really wise for us to remember he's making these promises. In verse 10, he says this. He says, and I will establish my place for my people, Israel. I will plant them so they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. I'm going to give greater stability. And he goes on and says, man, you're going to have a forever king. Like, I made the promise a thousand years ago. I'm letting you know I'm in it. And then you move forward to the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 uh, comes through. Let's just read a little bit. In 31, 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. Uh, they will not teach again. Each one of his neighbors and his, each one of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive the wrongdoing and their sin I will no longer remember Man, we need to know as we're stepping into this, God has made some huge promises to Israel. Real promises, real people. Of course, you would look if you were an Israelite at this time, and you would say, well, we're ruled by Rome. (laughs) It doesn't seem like... uh, uh, much is happening for us. You would also look and go like, man, this, this new movement of God, it seems like the movement of the church, it's impacting Israel, or the Gentiles, excuse me, but it seems like it's not happening much here. It seems like maybe we've been left out of, of that. It seems like maybe they've been kicked to the side as if there's somebody better that it rolled along. Has God been faithful to these promises? And uh, we, we dive in uh, right away in 11, chapter Chapter 11, verse 1 in Romans, and Paul is going to write in the strongest words possible that he can. He's going to say this I say then, God has not rejected his people Israel, has he? Far from it. No way. Uh uh-uh. uh. He's letting you know, I'm gonna let you know there is no way that God has been unfaithful to these promises that he has made to Israel. No way, even though they've been rebellious, no way. You want evidence of it? The first evidence of this is, I said, through the people. Paul himself, continue to read, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a tribe of Benjamin. He says, listen, I know Jesus, I'm part of the church, I've received these promises, and, and I'm of the nation of Israel. So obviously, he hasn't just kicked Israel to the side. He's still working there, here, with our people. He's faithful. And this is a trend of his. He's going to continue as he, as he goes on here and he talks about Elijah in two verse, verses 2 through 4. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? He says, Lord, they've killed your prophets and they've torn down your altars. I alone and left, and they are seeking my life. If you're not familiar, in 1 Kings 17 through 19, we, we read uh, this event and things leading up to it. Ahab and Jezebel are in charge of Israel at the time. The king, Ahab, the son of Omri, he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Isn't that great to be known that way? This is the condition of Israel at the time. Their king did more evil, than we're in 1 Kings here 16. He actually thought it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of all the other kings before him, Jeroboam and his rebellious ways. He thought, that's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. He served Baal and worshipped him, made an altar for him, He also uh, went ahead and said, you know, I know God said that we shouldn't rebuild Jericho, but let's do it. Let's go ahead and rebuild Jericho. So they rebuilt Jericho at the loss of the firstborn. Let's flip the gate, another loss of the firstborn, seeing God is faithful to his promise. It's not a great time in the nation of Israel. But the, the funny thing is, or the interesting, as Ahab is doing more to provoke the Lord to anger than anybody else, the nation as a whole followed him. They said, okay, let's go. Baal it is. Let's do it. And so the condition is you see everybody running in the wrong direction. And you know the story, you're familiar with, with Elijah. He shows up I'm on the, the Candy Mountain, I like to call it Carmel, uh, if you will, and does battle and wins. And Israel is like, oh, I think God is our God. And then rain falls, much like it fell earlier today. In the middle of that rainstorm, Elijah runs towards um, Jezebel and ahead of Ahab just to remind him, man, you need to repent and turn your ways, and the whole nation needs to come back, and he's thinking this is a great victory. And then he receives news from the queen that she's going to kill him now, and he freaks out, and he runs. Uh, Just a really quick map here. You can see at the very top is where the battle happened, and he went just a few uh, inches to the left, to Jezreel, and then he ran down to Beersheba, and then from there he ran south to Mount Orb or Mount Sinai. He's a, far, he's a long way from where he's supposed to be because, remember, Elijah is the prophet. He is the representative of God. He is the, he is the one who is supposed to declare to Israel uh, the best way to live, to come back and follow Yahweh. And where does he go? Far, far away. And it's interesting, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, 9, God actually says, why are you here Elijah, why are you here? I don't run away from my people. Why are you here away from my people? And, and what does Elijah say? You know, well, you know, I'm the only one left, God. They've, they've all left you. Like, nobody loves you there. I, I meant they've killed everybody, so I just had to kind of run away because they shouldn't be here anymore. And he's like, no, 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 no. Why are you here? My representative, you go back. You, Elijah, go back. Because me, as a God, I don't leave my people, even when they are rebellious Go, anoint a new king. Go and walk alongside Elisha who will take your place as prophet. Go. Because I've also kept 7,000 men who have not followed Ahab. They have remained loyal to me. There's a remnant. I love my people i am faithful to my people i always keep some people who are trusting me i am faithful to israel just look at the remnant look at the few who are there and he says one other you want one other example here is back in romans in the same way in verse 5 in the same way then just as god had kept 7000 back then today at the present time There's also a remnant. There are still Jewish believers. God is faithful. He has not left uh, the nation of Israel. He has not forgotten them. And he's done it all by grace because it's no longer the basis of work. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And this is pretty amazing. You're like, how is this a sign of God's faithfulness by leaving some people in and amongst Israel who are actually trusting him, always doing that? Well, it's a little bit like Costco, I know if you're a Costco fan or not, but they have, you know, they're their free sample people. Small, chosen, select of their employees who are around the store calling out, saying, this, is, well, this will give you life. Come eat these prunes. There's life to be found here. Come have this, this electrolyte drink. It's amazing. Come. We want you to live well because Costco cares that you live well. They want us to follow something and give them money. But God, with his remnant, there's always people in the nation of Israel who are there living differently and speaking differently saying, Israel, trust. Trust him. Trust him. You're running the wrong way. Trust him. God graciously, continually gives people to the nation of Israel who are following and trusting God. That is a sign of his faithfulness. I mean, and th- and think about that. I mean, just just really, these people in Romans ten twenty one. Right before this, what do we know about them? But as for Israel, God says, "I have spread out my hand all day long to this disobedient and obstinate people." So God is like they're in active rebellion all the time, and yet I continually give them these Costco workers, this remnant of people, calling out, reminding them that it is best to trust me. God is faithful. We see it today, right? Uh, Have you met a Hittite, a Canaanite, an Edomite, a Mosquito Bite? Have you you met any of them today? No, but the nation of Israel still exists, roughly 16 million. And out of that... Roughly, there's about 200 to maybe 350,000 Messianic Jews, believers. About 2% of those folks, are, a remnant is still there saying, Jesus is our Messiah. Trust him. That's the best way. Is God faithful to Israel? Absolutely. How do we know he always has provided people within Israel to call them to worship and honor God? The best way to live. I me continue, because Paul continues. Um, in verse 11, he's going to come back um, and say, I say then, did they not stumble so as to fall, did they? And he's going to say, no, again, in a very firm way. But before that, don't forget. Don't forget there was a promise that had made. Remember the Abrahamic covenant. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth, they will be blessed. That was the plan you want evidence that God is faithful? He gave a plan, and he fulfilled that plan through the nation of Israel. Again, I say then, did they stumble so as not to fall? Far, far, far from it. And he does something amazing, because he continues here, and he says, but by the wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, we're coming into, a, it's a really a beautiful and crazy and like a 4D chest chess playing God. Like he's doing things that you could never imagine because he made this promise, he made this, he has this plan to bless the nations, and he's going to fulfill that by his the the nation of Israel's wrongdoings, their the rejection of him, the rejection of Jesus as their Messiah, by the rejection of, of the church as it is it grows in Jerusalem, like, hey, we can't have this, so they begin to persecute the church, and what's the reality of that? The gospel goes forth, people run away all over the known world, and they land at different places, and where do they go? We read about that Paul, right? He goes first to the synagogue, always to the nation of Israel, and he, he comes and he declares, like, look at this, guys, the Messiah came, we missed him, you, you've, you've got to turn and trust, he loves you, and they're like, "Now nah, we're good, and they get so frustrated, he's like, fine, Going to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, like, woohoo! Every place they went, there was rejection from the nation of Israel. And all that meant was that God's plan of reaching and blessing the world was unfolding through his nation's rejection. That's incredible. He was faithful even when they were not. But what's even more amazing? At least what I find, I think, maybe even more amazing, this is his next level thing. By their rejection of the gospel he's, and, and the Gentiles' acceptance, it's actually his plan to reach the nation of Israel. It, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit like uh, this, this, this idea of jealousy, if you will, maybe in a good way. But sometimes, from time to time, people will say, hey, we've got tickets to the Aggie game. Uh, we've got free tickets to the Aggie game. Grace Bible Church. Whoever wants them, you can have them. I'm like, ooh, that sounds. Like I, I, I should. Maybe I should do that. You know, but I'm kind of tired. It's kind of hot. It's kind of cold. Kind of wet. Too windy. You know, like I come. I have all these excuses. But there are these free tickets. I'm like, nah. I think I'm good. And so I sit at home and I'm like, oh, that was. You know, I'm glad I'm here in air conditioning. And I look on social media and what do I see? I see somebody else from the staff. Like, hey, thanks for the tickets. I'm like, wow, that looks fun. Man, I. I wish I would have gone. And I find this amazing about God. Is is he faithful to his promises? Yes, I'm going to bless the nation. How? By Israel rejecting, okay? And then the gospel's going to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, okay, how is that actually being faithful to Israel? Because it's going to drive them to jealousy. They're going to begin to see the beauty uh, of, of what God has for those who trust him. And that's going to make them jealous to come back. Now, unlike my football analogy, I can't go back in time to say, yeah, okay, I'll take the tickets. The reality is uh, Israelites in Paul's day and today, they can look and say, like, you know what? I think we, I think I missed it. I think... I think he is the best way to live. And they can at any time step forward and say, okay, I do. I believe and I trust. It's incredible, God's faithfulness to Israel, even through their rejection. Paul understood that. Paul understood that reaching the Gentiles was a way to reach the Israelites, which, again, is just, in my mind, next uh, level. In verse 13, he says, I, Paul, am speaking to you. Who? You who are Gentiles. Gentiles. Therefore, in in so far as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I'm going to magnify my ministry if somehow I may move my own people, the nation of Israel, to jealousy and save some of them. That was his outreach strategy. Let me run towards the Gentiles, see God do great things there in hopes that Israel will go like humdinger, wake up and come back to their Messiah because God is faithful. And Paul's confident that this plan is going to work, Paul's confident that God is not done with the nation of Israel. And, and he shows that confidence through kind of a, a, weird, a weird or strange to us expression coming through here. And again, it's going to be helpful for us to remember that 9, 10, and 11, the question is all about, Has God is he still faithful to Israel it's, going to be, it's understanding us that this is God and Israel and his faithfulness. And he's talking about groups, not individuals. And so I'm writing to you Gentiles. That would be a group. Nation of Israel, that is a group. Because as soon as we sit there and say, no, 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 I'm going to read you as me individually, this text can get really confusing and cause like, just some challenges for us. If we let God's word be God's word and we come back and realize he's talking about groups, what is seemingly confusing when we get to these branches that are being broken off is not going to be a place of us going like, I wonder, did I lose my salvation? Instead, we're going to understand his flow of thought and go, I have confidence. God is incredibly faithful. So, He's coming in here and he says, you know, the, the first piece of dough is holy, uh, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are as well. And I mean, look, amen, there's the service, we're over, let's, let's go. Remember again the context. Is God faithful to Israel? Absolutely. What's an evidence of that? He always leaves a a remnant. There's always people who he leaves placed behind who are trusting him, who say yes, who are set apart for that mission of reaching the nation of Israel. And so the first piece of dough is probably that remnant, that, that first generation in the church of Jewish believers, that they are set apart, they are holy. And if the first part is certainly the lump which is the nation at large, will in the future turn and trust Jesus. And he's going to expand on that more at the end of this chapter. But the lump, of the first piece of dough, probably the remnant, uh, the, the lump, how great of a term is that, but the lump is Israel in the future when they as a nation return and have, a, have an attitude of trust as opposed to distrust. And then he goes to the root is holy, the branches are as well. Now the root is pr- it's probably Abraham and the patriarchs, those early ones who the promises came, and that they believed and trusted the Lord. Remember, uh, if you tracked Brian back in chapter nine, he was talking about, well, who's the real Israel? They're not all the one the physical disp- descendants are. They no, 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 it's those who believed. And then he goes through a uh, whole whole list of it, is, is, Did the promise, did it go with Jacob or did it go with Esau? Was it with Isaac? Was it with Ishmael? Like God is at work, and so not everybody who is an ethnic Israelite necessarily is a person of the promise. It doesn't mean that they've trusted in God's promise. That's why nine was so critical. So he's here. The root, those patriarchs, Abraham and those who early trusted in God's promises. And the branches are those who are connected to the promises of God that were made to Israel. Through faith in Christ. That's both Jew and Gentile. The branches, they're different trees, different groups as he's going to unfold this. And this should really make us, like, amazed. And I'm going to try to explain why we should maybe be amazed here. Reading down a little bit further. But as some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive trees and to go on and on and on here talking about the trees he's, he's making a point some of the branches were broken off and this is where we start going like oh you can lose your salvation remember he's talking in a group one of the trees is a wild olive tree that's the Gentiles one of them is the natural olive tree the one that was entrusted with all the promises of God that's the nation of Israel And yet, everybody from the nation of Israel, not all of them, trusted in the promises of God. The promises went where God wanted the promises to go, and people responded, but not all. And so those who didn't respond were broken off. But you, Gentiles, remember, Gentiles back in 13, you're of the wild olive. You're of a different group. But you were grafted in you were removed from this tree, and, and you're brought in to this one. Where the promises of God are going forth. The promises that were made to, to Israel, they, they, they weren't you. This is God's graciousness to show, like, I desire all to be saved. And so I'm allowing Gentiles, not because they're amazing and awesome, but because of my generosity, I'm, I'm allowing you to come and partake by trusting in Jesus and attaching yourself to the root, which is the faithful ones who have trusted in God's promises. And this is amazing. Gentiles, me, and most of us in this room, we're this amazing position that's based solely on God's grace because God's promises, remember, they were originally given to Israel, but we get to benefit. We get to benefit from them. Things like, you know, forgiveness of sin. You know, things like eternal life. Things like God's spirit dwelling with us. All is the gracious work of God. He wants his readers to know that Israel wasn't hardened because you Gentiles are so amazing. Todd, you weren't selected for your business class because your hair was looking good. It was God's graciousness that that allowed me business class. It's God's graciousness that allows us. Israel was hardened because of their rejection. Remember, Brian talked about this in chapter 9. That that, that God, as he's he's moving people, he just moves them in directions they were already going. Pharaoh was already going to be pushing back against God, pushing back, and God just solidified that. He never pushes people where they're not already wanting to go. And so he's warning, in verse 18, the Gentiles, so don't become arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. He's saying, remember... Israel, promises given. They became arrogant, thinking that it was all about them. And God said, I love you. I'm faithful to you. But as I'm looking to continue to reach the world, I'm going to temporarily set you to the side and be working through more the Gentiles than I am through you. Now, there's still the remnant that's here I haven't absolutely thrown you to the side and it's not forever, but now I'm choosing to work massively through the Gentiles. And there's a warning, don't be like them because the same can happen to us as a group. So the Romans, for example... You follow through their history, they eventually became a little bit proud, and it seemed like instead of being now a huge missionary sending church, all of a sudden they began to dwindle. You look at the UK in the 16th and 17th centuries. Uh, they were sending people all over the place, like there was incredible spiritual things unfolding. I, when I worked in the UK, I got to teach at George Whitfield's church, uh, which would have been packed to the brim when he was there, and yet... When you go back today, you walk across and you're like, wow, there's like nobody here. It's not that God has said no more UK people can come to know him. He's still there desiring all to come to him. And yet, it seems like it's more remnant work that's going on there than it is this massive work. U.S., it's seeming like more and more, right? That what God's work is doing here through his people is more remnant work. We used to be biggest senders all over the place, and now we're one of the biggest receivers. It seems like God is, is going like, hey, I can use whomever I want to use. And yet, if I'm, if I'm working through you, great. But if I've set you aside temporarily, you can still come. Romans can still know Jesus. Uh, UK citizens can still know Jesus. Americans can still know Jesus But the attitude of the nation as a whole is not one of acceptance, but one of, "Mm, I'm good. It's like Israel then, and it's like Israel now. Again, he set them to the side, but it's temporary, it's not absolute, it's not permanent, because he's going to come back and there's going to be something incredible that unfolds, and he's going to remind them, how do we know God is Faithful. God always leaves a remnant, always people who are calling out. Here it is. How do we know that God is faithful? God gave this incredible plan, and he worked through the rejection. And even when they ascended to the side, he's still at work saving folks, and he can use whatever nation he wants to use, whatever group he wants to use. Uh, And so, by the way, Israel, how do we know that God is faithful? Because, well, that promise that I made to you that you would all come back to me, I'm going to keep that. For I, do not want you, for I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this, this mystery. Not something that's incomprehensible, but something that was hidden and that is eventually revealed. So that you will not be wise in your own in- estimation. That right now there's a partial hardening has happened in Israel. That is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Those promises to Israel, they haven't been forgotten. God will fulfill them in the future. Their land, their stability, their forever reigning Messiah, Jesus, that's going to happen. Paul is saying God made literal promises to a literal Israel and he will literally fulfill them in the literal future. This partial hardening, this God shift with Israel, it's not permanent, it's not absolute. He's still faithful, he's still loving, he's still providing for them. But there's going to come a day when that nation will not have an, they'll have an attitude of trust not rebellion. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. It's one of the reasons why we, uh, at at Grace, why we're premillennial. Like, if we couldn't get any more dense than trying to follow things, like, let's just go ahead and talk about end time, shall we? Okay, if you remember, just really quick, if you remember when we were going through Revelation, during the church age you have right now, the church, God is working massively through the church that is made up of all nations and all tongues. You have believers from all over the place. It's primarily, it's they're Gentiles. The church is marked by massive work amongst the Gentiles. But there's going to come a time when God says, I'm taking the church, I'm removing the church out. The time of the Gentiles has ended, and that's going to bring in a time of tribulation. It's going to be three and a half years for good for Israel. Then it's going to be three and a half years that are, they're heavily persecuted. But that time ends with Israel, the normal attitude of the nation of Israel... Trusting their promised Messiah, Jesus, who will reign for a thousand years and they will enjoy all the literal promises of God made to them. Their land, the seed, and the blessing, the stability, the security. It will happen. Why? Because God is faithful. Micah looks at that. Uh, He says this. Who is a God like you who pardons wrongdoing and passes over a rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. You know that? That God delights in mercy. He will again take pity on us. He will trample on our wrongdoings. All those wrongdoings, the rejection, the rebellion. Yes, you, God, will cast all of their sins, Israel's sins, into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and favor to Abraham which you swore to your forefathers from the days of old. Micah is going, God is faithful. He is going to be faithful. Paul is coming back and saying, he is going to be faithful. There is going to come a time when Israel right now, while they are still loved and God is faithful, God is going to take up and bring them back and have this time of massive revival within the nation where the norm is one of trust and not distrust. Is God, like, unfaithful? Has he been unfaithful to the promises of Israel, to the people of Israel? No, he's just worked in unexpected ways. Paul exhausts himself, it seems like, in, in the middle of this dense time, and he just wraps it up by saying the same thing in Romans eleven twenty nine: 29. Israel, you're going to be okay. Why are you going to be okay? Because God is faithful, otherwise known as this, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Israel, he made you a promise. He will fulfill the promise. He's not done with you. He's not finished with you. There will come a day when he brings you back, and it's going to be amazing. This constant reminder of what you will be. It's, it's interesting to me. It, we're all a little insecure, aren't we? I mean, just all of us. I think I, I know I am. Maybe you're not. And I need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over again of the promises of God. I need to be reminded over and over and over again of God's faithfulness. Because there's times that I just begin to listen to some other voices and begin to look at my circumstances and think they define me, but they don't. Christ does. And I'm really, really thankful that I have people like my wife, Erin, who is constantly reminding me of who I am in Christ. Constantly reminding me of of the promises that God has given me. That when I feel as if everything else is falling apart, she's like, No, he's faithful. Remember what he has said about you. (laughs) Yeah, you're insecure, but listen, that's that's not his voice talking. That's that's your voice. That's you putting your value in something else. Remember, trust in him because when you do, it's the best life ever. She's the best Costco Barker ever in my life. And that's what Paul is doing here at the end. He's saying, remember, God is faithful. You will, nation of Israel, you are coming back. You are coming back. He's reminding over and over and over and over again. And Israel is not going to be because you're awesome. It's not going to be because of your works. It's only going to be because of God's graciousness and the way that he moves because you cannot earn his favor. And all of this section is talking about israel and god's faithfulness but for you and i what does this mean well golly it means one we can trust his promises and two i don't know where you are i mean I, I just don't i don't know where you are but i know that god loves you i know that god has is calling out with the best way of life which is to trust his promises i know that he has proven himself to be trustworthy because if you go back and just drink through more of the fire hose of chapters 9 10 and 11 you're going to see that he's incredible faithful To people who were hostile, who were rebels, who were spitting in his face. And so if you are here today and that's how you have lived, or you've, you've known Jesus for a while but you've had a season of running in the wrong direction, thinking there's just no way that he could ever use me or forgive me, you need to know that he is faithful and that he loves you and that his promises are secure to you. He's not asking you to try harder. He's asking you to trust. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, If you've been running emptily trying to impress everybody else around you, but knowing that it doesn't work, know that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life. He died to pay the price for your sin, for my sin, to bring us back into a right relationship with God, to feel that longing in our hearts. And he doesn't ask anything other than we just say thank you. He rose again from the from the grave so that we know that death is not the final story. We can know that he is trustworthy. God's grace is amazing. And it can be trusted. Because how? Look at Israel. He is faithful, faithful, faithful. So we covered a lot of ground. The gospel is good news because God is faithful. You can see that faithfulness through his people, through his plan that could not be stopped, and through his promises. And so our application this week, what I would encourage us to, uh, to do, you know, like, how do you apply all of this fire hose, Todd? Great question. I'd encourage you to memorize Memorize and meditate on Romans 11.29. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And then do do like Paul. In light of all of this, he's just dumbfounded. I hope that I haven't made things overly complex as we walk through a very dense thing. But Paul in the middle of this and going, God, you're doing things that I couldn't even imagine. What What does he respond with? He says this. In 33, 34, 35, 36. He says, oh, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or, or who became his counselor? Nobody. Or who has first given to him that he would pay back? Nobody. We all stand in awe because of his gracious work moving towards us. Because from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see him just going, I am in awe and dumbfounded by God's faithfulness and how he has been working in unexpected and beautiful ways, even when the times are confusing. And all I can do is marvel and thank and praise. And so this week your application is simply that. Memorize Romans 11:29 29 to see that the gifts and calling of the Lord are irrevocable. They are rock solid. You can trust them. And then in all of that, just worship. Let's pray.